Amen. May we keep our focus on our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last week, our journey through the Upper Room discourse took us to a a sobering passage, uh, that of Judas's betrayal of Jesus, and forced us to consider and hopefully led us to pray for those who perhaps follow Jesus in a worldly sense, uh, know about him, even participate in the life of a church, maybe even uh, enjoy the fruit of what it means to, to associate with Christ, but sadly do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that we will continue to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's moving among us. Someone might, as a result of that, think, okay, but what about me? Because I do believe in Jesus, but I fail too. Is there any hope for a believer who has fallen, for someone who fails? And I don't think it's coincidence that the upper room now takes us to the story of Peter and his denial of Jesus Christ and the message that the Lord has for us, that Jesus loves us even in our abject, most shameful, utter failures. And we can see that love in the story of Peter. So this is another character story. We need to spend some time going back and and looking at Peter's story through the Gospels to really get a hold of what is taking place in this particular moment. Peter is actually one of the first to have an interaction with Jesus. In John 1, we read about Peter's brother Andrew and a couple of others who were disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, go follow him. And so they go to Jesus and they interact. And Andrew runs and finds his brother Peter and says, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Come on. And so Peter comes along and has a brief interaction with Jesus. And even in that moment, Jesus perceives Peter's spiritual perception. Um, and, and speaks meaningful words about Peter's potential for the kingdom of God. When Peter really becomes a full-time follower of Jesus is in Luke chapter 5. And so there have been a couple of interactions with Jesus up to this point. But in Luke 5, Peter has been fishing all night, hasn't caught a thing. Jesus then gets in Peter's boat and uses that as a platform from which to address the people. And then when he's done, he says, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, stay in your lane. You're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. I've been fishing all night. I can promise you there is not a fish in this water. But if you say so, I will cast the net. And so Peter casts the net. And of course, Jesus miraculously fills that net with so many fish, they have to call their partners over. The nets are breaking. They literally, these aren't huge fishing boats, they literally fill up the boat with fish to the point where it's sinking in the water. 
And Peter, being spiritually perceptive, understands what's going on, and being the impulsive kind of guy he is without regard, falls on his his knees, his face in the fish. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus lifts him up and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And Peter and Andrew leave everything they have and follow Jesus. So we're beginning to get an idea of the personality of this guy. And then Peter's story is is just remarkable. He has so many spiritual high points. Think about the moment that the disciples have set off to cross the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, and they're struggling against a headwind, and Jesus comes walking across the sea on the water. It's nighttime. The disciples don't really know what's going on. They're terrified. They think they've seen a ghost. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is I. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. What boldness. And Jesus says, come. And Peter climbs out of the boat and walks across the water to the Lord of the heavens and the earth. Incredible faith. It's not long after that Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say I am? And some of them say, well, maybe a prophet or Elijah or John the Baptist returned. But Peter knows He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus praises him, that wasn't revealed to you by man, but by God. Peter, you you are spiritually perceptive. You are the rock. On this rock, I will build my church and give you the keys of the kingdom. What, What affirmation, what promises, what incredible potential. And then not long after that, when Jesus goes up onto the mountain of transfiguration and brings Peter and two other disciples with him, and they have the privilege of beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, again, the Lord of heaven and earth, breaking through in physical manifestation, they behold him in his glory as Jesus speaks with Moses and Elijah. And Peter has an opportunity to participate in that powerful moment. Very high points in the life and career of Peter as a follower of Jesus. But it's amazing that the lowest points of Peter's life also accompany those very high points. They're on the mountain of transfiguration. This is amazing. I never want this to stop. How can we keep this going? I know. Jesus, let me build you a booth, a shelter, and I'll build one for Moses, and I'll build one for Elijah, and we can all be here together, and the good times will never end. Because that's what he wants to continue. And a voice booms from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Close your mouth for once and listen Peter. Or when he was walking across the water and he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the circumstances, at the rough seas, at the fierce wind, and in his lack of faith began to sink and Jesus has to rescue him and rebuke him for his little faith. 
in that moment. Or right after Jesus called Peter the rock and said he was going to build his church on him. And then Jesus says, now we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be delivered over to my enemies and killed and raised on the third day. And Peter, who knows how things are supposed to play out from this point, in which Jesus becomes king and establishes an earthly kingdom, says to Jesus, the one who he just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, no, that's not what's going to happen. That will never be. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is who we're dealing with. Is he the rock? Or is he Satan? Who does not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And Jesus says, Peter, the answer to that question depends upon whom you trust. Who do you trust when you're scared of the future? Who do you trust when the circumstances around you seem overwhelming? Who do you trust when the times are good and, and all you want is the good times to continue? The answer to the question is who you trust. And so we come to the upper room. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Peter's like, no, 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 you'll never wash my feet. Jesus says, no, I have to wash your feet. Well, then wash all of me. Jesus says, please, can I just wash your feet? And then, as Jesus talks about Judas's betrayal, Peter is one of those disciples who's saying, is it me? Am I the one? Remember, it's not long ago Jesus called Peter Satan. Am I the one who's going to betray you? And Jesus then goes on. And so we read together in John chapter 13, verse 31, after Judas had gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Peter, ever the one who sometimes can focus on the important things and sometimes not, cuts through all about Jesus' glory and all about this new commandment and focuses on the thing that bothers him. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so we have Jesus here predicting quite the opposite of what Peter expected of himself, predicting that Peter will deny him. He, uses, he does this first with the words saying, you cannot follow where I am going. Now, Jesus isn't simply saying there's a physical impossibility involved here. Jesus is honing on Peter's inability. 
This is personal inability. This is the inability of the rest of the disciples. This is the inability of anyone to follow Jesus along the journey that he is about to undertake. They cannot bear up under what is about to happen. Jesus knows this and is preparing them for it. But that kind of cuts Peter to the heart. Peter's pretty sure he can. He's followed Jesus to this point. Why can't he continue to follow him? What is wrong with him that he wouldn't be able to follow Jesus? Lord, I'm sure that I can follow you. And he contradicts Jesus. Now, the contradiction here in John is, is a mild contradiction. He asks a question, why can't I follow you? He makes this declaration, I'm ready to die for you. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's like, no way. That's never going to happen. It really is, Peter. Uh, everybody else might deny you, but I will never deny you, Jesus. He has this confidence in his flesh. He is absolutely sure of the power that he has and the commitment that he has and the ability that he has to follow Jesus to the very end. Peter does not know his own heart. He hasn't reached the point in his spiritual life where he is able to question himself, to consider his inner motives, to understand that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Nobody can know their own heart. His ignorance of his own self, his failure to consider what might be going on in his life is an indicator of deep spiritual immaturity. It's a contrast to words written by St. Augustine in the Confessions. O oh Lord, hear me, look on me, see me, pity me, and heal me, you whose insight I have, be I have become a puzzle to myself. Peter has no puzzles. He has no questions. He's full of hubris, confidence, certainty that he is able to follow wherever Jesus might lead. But Jesus says, no, Peter, you are going to deny me. You are going to disown me. You will publicly disassociate yourself from me in the strongest terms possible. I have nothing to do with him. I know nothing of him. It has to cut Peter to the quick. Jesus doesn't use the word deny very often, but he does do it when he said previously, whoever denies me before people, I will, I, Jesus, will deny that person before the Father. Whoa. And you just said I'm going to deny you? He has to remember when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves daily and take up a cross and follow me. Jesus, I'm ready to deny myself and follow you. And here you're telling me I'm going to deny you. Yes, because you're confident in yourself. 
At this point in Luke, Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like sand. And that night, the disciples would be sifted. As one commentator says, the forces of that night will search Peter and his colleagues to the very core and leave Peter, the confident, self-reliant leader, as a broken and Christ-denying failure. So we see Peter fail that very night. Keep in mind, at this point in the conversation, Peter still really has no idea what's happening. This is just another feast. Yeah, things are a little bit tense. We know what's going to happen immediately after the upper room. Peter doesn't know what's ahead. But his downfall, his spiral into painful self-discovery, the very bad day that Peter is about to have, starts immediately after the upper room when Jesus leads the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the first thing he does is ask them to pray. In fact, he takes Peter and two others and leads them a little bit further and says, please pray with me. And then Jesus goes off and prays, and he comes back, and you know what he finds. He finds Peter and the other disciples asleep. Three times Jesus finds them asleep. And in the course of this, having woken Peter up after the first time, he says, Peter, can't you even pray with me? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You're going to follow me to death but you can't even pray with me because of the weakness of your flesh. Then the betrayer, Judas, comes into the garden leading a mob to arrest Jesus. Peter again, he knows that's not how it's supposed to be. Pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Now this is a brave thing to do. Peter is surrounded by hardened and trained Roman soldiers, and he pulls out his sword to defend Jesus to accomplish the kingdom the way that he knows supposedly, the kingdom is supposed to be accomplished. And Jesus rebukes him. Don't you understand what's going on? That's not the way this is going to happen. Put away your sword. Immediately after, Peter, who said he was going to follow Jesus to death, is scattered along with the rest of the disciples. All of them were overcome with fear and fled. But Peter decides, I'm going to follow along with Jesus, kind of. And so he observes from a distance, and he comes to the, the courtyard of the high priest's house where Jesus is being questioned. And somebody asks him, weren't you with Jesus? And so it starts, the denials. He has been shaken. He is afraid. He doesn't understand what's going to happen. And those awful circumstances reveal what is inside, and he denies his Lord. And at the third denial, Luke tells us that Jesus looked at him across the courtyard. And Peter's cut to the heart because he realizes, he finally realizes what's inside, and he is broken. 
But Jesus loves Peter in his failure. This part of the Upper Room series is how Jesus loves us. Jesus loves Peter in his failure. First of all, he does not, in the course of all of this, questions Peter's gifting or his potential, the benefit that he can have for the kingdom of God. He never says, Peter, you're not going to be good for anything. You might maybe scooch by into the kingdom, but you have nothing that you're going to be able to accomplish for my sake. He never forgets or questions the gifting or potential that Peter has for the kingdom. He never rejects Peter. Remember when Judas was hardened in his heart and made the decision to betray the Lord, and Jesus said, go and do what you are about to do. Jesus never says, Peter, go. Just get out of my sight. I'm disgusted by you. In the course of this, Jesus is so patient with Peter, and all of Peter's stumbles as a Christ follower do not cancel his identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus loves Peter in his failures in that he gives him time for repentance. Jesus looks Peter in the eye across the courtyard. Peter is brokenhearted as he understands what he has done. He goes away and he weeps. And he needs time to process. And Jesus gives him that time. Do you see the parallels with Judas in the course of this? Both called by Jesus. Both not only followers of Jesus, but trusted among the disciples with some level of leadership. Both subject to the attacks of the evil one. We know that, that when Jesus says to all of the disciples, one of you is a devil, he's talking about Judas. But as Peter, he looks in the face and says, get behind me, Satan. Judas the betrayer, Peter the denier, and both of them remorseful. Both of them remorseful. When Judas realizes what he's done, he goes back and he throws down the money. He can't believe it. And then in his very human kind of remorse, he goes away and hangs itself. Worldly sorrow leads to death. But what happens with the godly sorrow that leads to repentance? The thing is that the, the seeds of that failure, the weakness of the flesh that was in both Judas and Peter, that weakness is in every one of us as well, and we fall. But Jesus loves us in his failures forgives us when we come to him in repentance and restores Peter and launches him into the next phase of his walk with Christ. The restoration and the launching actually begin with another moment of Peter failing. So Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter saw it with his own eyes. He's really excited about it. Jesus appears to the disciples and says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then 
is not there. And Peter's sitting with the other disciples. We don't know the exact circumstances, but he says to them, I'm going to go fishing. Now, Peter hasn't been fishing in three years. He's been fishing for men, but he's been following Jesus. But he doesn't know what to do next. He's not sure the next steps, and so he goes back to what he knew in his former life. He says, I'm going to go fishing. And John tells us that they went fishing at night. Do you remember in John, night is the place where Jesus is not? Night is the place where Jesus isn't at work. Peter and the disciples, they decide to go fishing again. They fish all night. Guess what? They catch nothing. But they see somebody on the shore. They don't know who it is, but that somebody says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And they do. And the net gets filled up with fish. And Peter understands it's the Lord. Impulsive Peter, loving Peter, jumps out of the boat runs up to shores best you can in the water. And there is Jesus. They share breakfast together, and then Jesus takes Peter off for a conversation. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? A conversation that ends with Jesus saying again, follow me. The follow me's in John are beautiful. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. Later on, he says, you must follow me. But then in the upper room, he says, you can't follow me, but later on you will. And now here, having forgiven Peter and restored him, Jesus once again says, follow me. Peter would go on to do great things for the kingdom. This Peter who was so afraid of the servant girl in the high priest's courtyard would be the one who stands up in the face of all of the hostility of Jerusalem and proclaims Jesus as the Messiah and thousands come to faith. This Peter who was so afraid what people might think about him actually opposes others in the church in order to bring the Gentiles into Christian fellowship, and here we are. Peter would go on to accomplish the great things that Jesus promised, and Peter would go on to follow Jesus to the cross. Christian tradition tells us that his life and ministry ended being crucified, but at his own request, upside down, because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. We see that failure is not the end of the story. What if Jesus had dumped Peter at the denial? Enough of you. Our failures, the fallings of our loved ones, those whom we're so very concerned about, the feeling of uselessness that we have when we've abandoned Jesus, those are not the end of the story. That's the middle of the story. And in that story, faithfully, constantly, Jesus loves us. And he calls us to himself. 
looking back, understanding what Jesus was about to go through, it's a little fearsome to hear his words to Peter. Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. You will follow me through persecutions. You will follow me through glorious victories for the sake of the kingdom. You will follow me to the cross. You will die for me. And that's not just to Peter. That's to all of us. Jesus is calling us as his disciples. Follow me wherever I lead you. And doing so takes a humility that we also desperately need. A keen awareness of our flesh and of our weakness. One commentator says, let it be a settled principle that there is an amount of weakness in all our hearts of which we have no adequate conception and that we never know how far we might fall. Following Jesus to the end requires that self-understanding, that humility, that questioning, and that longing to be held up by Jesus because we know we can't do it on our own. Following Jesus to the end involves recognizing when we fall and repenting of it. We deny Jesus all the time. A couple weeks ago, some of my friends, as we were discussing a sermon, said, call out my name. Tell me I'm one of those. Because we all are. When we fail to deny ourselves, we deny Jesus. We are Peters when we flirt with the flesh. It can be the hoarding of wealth. It can be the secret sins that appeal to our deepest desires. We deny Jesus when we satisfy ourselves. It can be that drive to accomplish what I'm absolutely certain is God's will, and therefore I will use any human means possible to make sure it takes place. When we set out to accomplish God's will by our means, we are denying Christ. Of course, we can be talking about political means by which we seek to establish the kingdom, we can talk about fleshly ministry methods by which we seek to produce the kind of fruit that we hope to see. We can be talking in our own personal lives when we're absolutely sure of what God's supposed to do and are going to make it happen no matter what. Raising our kids, sharing our faith, whatever it might be. When we try to accomplish what we are certain are God's purposes but do it in our flesh, we are denying Christ. When we charge ahead with our own plans, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> We're denying Christ. And when we have that 
insidious practice of neglecting Jesus day to day. Go about our lives as practical atheists. Certainly we believe in Jesus. Yes, absolutely, he's the most important thing in my life. But today, I've got to do this and that and the other, and Jesus somehow gets left out of the whole thing. It's denying Christ. It's the weakness of the flesh. We've got to recognize it and repent of it. And then trust Jesus. First of all, we've got to trust Jesus that in our failures, He loves us and forgives us. There is probably somebody, there's likely more than one buddy, who right now is thinking, but, but you don't know how far I fell. You don't know what I did. You don't know how bad I am. I am worthless. There's nothing I could contribute to the kingdom. And if you did know, you wouldn't want to be in my sight. But Jesus knows. He knows every single corner of our being. He knows as dark as it can get. And he brought us light and life and love and hope and forgiveness and a future. Trust Jesus that he can love you that much. He went to the cross for you. He'll walk with you day to day. Let's keep clinging to him. And trust him that as we walk with him day to day, his way really is best. We don't have to worry about the circumstances. Keep focused on Jesus. We don't have to try with everything we can to make the good times continue. When it's tough, we can trust in him as well. We don't have to hurry up to accomplish his purposes. He will do it in his time. As we follow him, he will use us for his glory. And as we follow him, let us live in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. You know, that's the difference. That's the difference between the Peter who flees in fear and the Peter who goes fishing because he doesn't know what else to do and the Peter who stands up and preaches Jesus and thousands are saved. The difference is the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And finally, they waited and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and they were powerfully transformed and they went out and change the world. Not because of confidence in their flesh, but because they were trusting Jesus, who was able to accomplish all of his glorious purposes. What happens when we fail? In our abject and most shameful moments, Jesus is still right there. He's still loving us, He's still calling us. He's still ready to use us for his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We all know that we don't deserve to be saved. 
we deserve rejection from the holy God because we are not holy. We deserve to be banished from your presence. And because of Jesus who would die for us, taking our sins, we can be saved. We can belong to you. We can begin that journey of following. And thank you even more that when we ought to know better, when we have been saved, when we belong to you, and just so often follow the flesh and trust in our own confidence and fail and flop, you lift us up. You call us to yourself. You wash our feet again. You give us your spirit. And you send us out. Help us to trust in you, Lord. And Father, I do pray for anyone who's in the middle of that failure and just feels so useless, so dirty, so hopeless. Would you surround us with your love? Fill us with the glorious knowledge of who you are and who we can be in you. And ultimately do it simply for your glory because you're worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.